Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? How you feeling? It's your man, James Robolata. We out here at Diner Talks with James. And as you heard, I'm James. Super excited to be here with you all today, my friends. Uh, I am uh, sitting in Minnesota. It is it is I'm sweating in Minnesota. No one everybody talked about the winters when we moved here. Everybody decided to not tell me the summers also get up to like 95 and sticky hot. That's just rude. How are you going to spend this much time below zero and then also hit me with 95 and humid? That's disrespectful. Minnesota, and we're going to have a conversation about it, but not yet because you're not on the podcast, Minnesota. Today we got Stu Massengill out here. He is a new friend of mine and a friend of a former guest on the show, Antonio Neves. What a great dude he is, uh, but I don't care about Antonio today. I care about my man, Stu. So let me tell you about him before we bring him out here right now. Stu Massengill is on a mission to help people answer the question, what do I want to do with my life? <laughs> He's been speaking on stages in front of all the way up to 10,000 people. That's a small army, y'all. Okay, 10,000 people is no joke. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, he built a business that did $8 million and said, you know what? I'm out of here. I got other plans. Uh, he is now working with the GOAT himself, Tony Robbins. We'll talk a little bit about that for sure. Uh, he casually beat cancer at the age of 24 after spending some time in Bali, like a Stu Massengill does. On the side, he loves to snowboard and hang out and just trying to crush his moments here on earth that he has. I'm super excited to bring him out right now. My man, Stu. Massengill. James, thank you for having me, brother. It is uh, just an honor to be here with you, man. I love your energy. I love your presence in this world. I'm grateful to be a friend, man. So just thank you so much for having me here. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, brother. You are a friendship that I have made uh, this year and and one that I'm really excited about seeing where it goes, man. And so it was, it was a natural fit to have you on here. And uh, I'm, I'm just I'm just pumped to be connected to you, brother. How are things going out in Cali? Costa Mesa, right? Costa Mesa, California. They're good, man. The sun is out. I'm breathing. I woke up. Uh, it's not 95 and sticky here. I apologize <laughs> for the Minnesota weather. Uh, but it's, not, I mean, I, I grew up in California and I always tell people it's a blessing and a curse because mm. I'm probably never going to leave. And it's good because there's a lot of good things about it, but it's also not good because there's some not so good things about it. And so, um, <laughs> it's good, man. It's, it's real good out here. Uh, that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. Uh, you know, Stu, this show is called diner talks with James and uh, we've had a few guests from Cali on, and this one's always an interesting conversation but i'm always curious what people's late night guilty pleasure food is right and i, I don't know i don't know what your late night move is i don't know if you're you know if we're talking cali are we talking some late night donuts are we talking some late night taco truck moves are you going to the one diner on the west coast in and out what are we what is your move yeah. late at night do you have a guilty pleasure so we got two different ways we could go. One, classic in and out Go there, get some burgers, fries. I go with the Neapolitan shake personally. Um, Ooh, is, or, that, now is, that, is that chocolate, vanilla, strawberry? 
chocolate vanilla strawberry. Well played. Well played. Phenomenal. If you haven't tried it, <laughs> I was skeptical at first, but it's it's it'll it'll mess up your taste buds. Um, <laughs> but that's good. And the other major go-to, I lived in San Diego for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And hands down, the go-to California burrito. It's basically mm. burrito. You got like carne asada steak in it. You have uh what else do you have in there? I think there's rice and the big thing, I forget really what else is in there to be honest, but the big thing is you got French fries in the burrito and oh. it's, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's, and you get some little hot sauce you put on it. It is, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's probably, I would say 10 out of 10. I'm going to go for that over in and out, to be honest, the burrito hits a spot. Yeah, I mean, the way you described it, that puts in and out to shame, uh, <clears throat> uh, let alone that I'm an East Coaster, so I'm Shake Shack over in and out. But anyway, um, the uh, that's right. Shots fired early, Stu. Step up. Um, I got to go. <laughs> uh, that's so cool. They put the, the French fries on the burrito. That reminds me of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh in puts the burrito. Fr- in the burrito. Yeah, French fries in the burrito. That's what Pittsburgh puts French fries in everything. They put uh, French fries in their hoagies. Uh, they put French fries in their salads. They just they just really? they stick French fries where they're supposed to be. And it sounds like so does California burrito. Do they put them in like a uh, Philly cheesesteak? I'm sure they do. Yeah, like absolutely. Philly cheesesteak with fries. I'm, I'm going to have to try that one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we can figure that out. <laughs> fries everywhere. Fries, fries everywhere. Fries in salads. Fries in salads. Yes. Wow, and it's good. It's it's surprisingly outrageous. Wow. All right. Yeah. Sold. I'm coming. I mean, at that point, you know, you're not really ordering a salad, right? Like, I mean, but <laughs> like this isn't. You're like, well, I just I'll just have a little salad, <laughs> you know, just a little something, right? No, it's a stack of fries yeah. in there. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm always interesting. I am a, uh, a food quirk of mine is that I am a ketchup hog. Like I'm the person who, when you go to a fast food location and they give you those little shitty white cups yeah. to put your ketchup in, I'm not using those. I grab three napkins, stack them up and just pump a puddle of ketchup onto my tray. Um, and that's what I do. And so it's interesting because I never know what to do with the French fries. I, I'm not going to put ketchup on my salad. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what's a good <laughs> hack is, you know, those little things, those little containers they give you, you yeah. can, you can open them and they get bigger. Like, you know how they're kind of like folded a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got the crinkles. Bigger, you can uncrinkle it and it becomes a bigger container. Fascinating. We got pro yeah. tips out here with Stu Massingill. Thank you so much. How to get uh, more questions out of your life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, that's awesome. Stu, I am uh, so pumped to be connecting with you. Uh, you had me on your podcast, Finding Direction, uh, which is just a great uh, a great piece of art that you've been working on for a long time. And uh, and so I can't thank you enough for having me on the show. Um, and we naturally yeah. had to return the favor. Um, but uh, in that conversation, we got to some really cool places uh but unfortunately you were doing the one asking and i was doing the one responding so now the shoe's on the other foot yeah. so buckle up i'm uh, ready man but students, on. let's let's start here brother what did, what did you want to be when you grew up if i talk to young Stu, eight eight years old 12 years old what are what are we doing where are we working towards so if you spoke to eight-year-old Stu, when i wanted to grow up i wanted to build fireworks That was like my thing. I was like, I thought fire, I still to this day, I love fireworks. Yeah. But I was the kid that 
every 4th of July was finding fireworks. It was like my family grew up in Ohio. So I would have them drive across the country with like the real fireworks. And uh, my family used to always tell me they're like, because I was like, it'd be so cool to be like, have all these chemicals and these random things and you can put it together and it creates like a firework. I was like, that's so cool. And they're like, you, you might blow off your fingers. And like, <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if I lose all my fingers. I'm making fireworks. But that, that, that never happened. I never, I've never made a firework in my life. You haven't made, I don't even know how to make, and yeah, the, the concept that they get all of that stuff packed into those tubes and mortars and that it comes out like a smiley face up in the air. I just, yeah. I don't understand the science, but I'm very impressed That's, by it. They're artists. Yes. You know, they're, they're chemical artists. Yeah. It's so it's, cool. It's one of those things where you're like, I'm glad somebody else decided to care about this. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, it was, it was that. And then eventually um, I got into skateboarding. I'm a big action sports person. I grew up snowboarding. One day mm -hmm. I picked up a skateboard. And then the moment I picked that up, it was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. I was like super driven. I was, you know, doing the tricks, jumping stairs, you know, all those different sort of things. Um, and then what happened with that, because I'm not a professional skateboarder, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, is I basically like tore my ACL one day skating. And it was kind of, I was a, I think a junior in high school. And it was like this massive turning point in my life where I kind of realized, okay, skateboarding is not going to be what I do because yeah. like it, it jacked me up for a year. Um, and so I finally like, I wasn't a bad student, but I got more serious about my studies and then that kind of took on the next leap of my life. Mm, okay. That injury really uh, was, was quite the, the crucible moment. So before yeah. that, were you like crushing skate parks and everything and, and, and yeah, hit, hit was half like, pipes and stuff? I think, I think my best trick was I kick flip the seven stair. Um, oh, shoot. So like I wasn't, I was not like amateur or pro. Like I wasn't where I needed to be to like actually be on the scene at yeah, all yeah. uh but it was like my dream and then you know i was doing one trick i was jumping this gap and i landed it and i was like okay now i'm gonna go back and do it again and put it in a line with some other tricks and when i went back to do it a second time that's when i tore myself so i did land the trick i sure. got it on film it's real <laughs> but then i went back and uh demolished myself yeah <laughs> casual casual oh um, geez Oh, geez. So then you got serious about your studies and you kind of you want you want to focus in a little bit different. You want to go to San Diego State, great yeah. institution um, and spending time down there. Uh, you come out and you uh, and you you wind up forming a business in the uh, the health yeah. and fitness world. Right. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that journey right? you know, from graduate upon graduating. Was the goal to be an entrepreneur or did it kind of fall into your lap? How did that happen? Yeah. So I always grew up as like the entrepreneurial type. I like, I believe it's like, it was in my blood. Like I never wanted to get a job. I sold candy in high school. I sold skateboards when I was skating so I could skate for free. Um, and when I went to college, because like I made a decision once I tore my ACL that I wanted to go to San Diego state. I knew I needed to work harder, study more. And I eventually got accepted. It was like one of those moments where you're sitting in your bed. Yeah. I was on my laptop and I got like the letter from San Diego state that said you were accepted. And I was just like, I was like, who's punking me? Like, you know, like, like I didn't, I didn't think that I was good enough to get in. And, and so I got in and I was driving to college and my mom asked me one question. She said, if there's one thing you want to get out of college, what would it be? And good question, mom. Yeah. My mom, she's, she's, 
the most unbelievable soul. Um, and it's crazy looking back on my life, seeing where this really went. But the, my answer was, I want to learn to come out of my shell. Because hmm. I always felt like when I was at family dinners, I was the one that never said anything. When I was um, around strangers, I would never start a conversation or talk to someone I didn't know. Around my friends, I was, you know, normally social, but I wasn't like the social one. Yeah. Um, but it was like I was always so crippled when I was around strangers because I, I, I just felt like I was in this shell and I didn't know how to come out of it. Um, and so I went to college. That was my big thing. And I'm a big believer that when you ask powerful questions, you get powerful answers. And so what was innately happening in my unconscious mind, if we would go there, is it was searching for how do I find ways to get Stu out of his shell? Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's what I, that was my goal now. And so I got introduced, well, presuppose. So before that, my buddy and I, we started skating. I was still very passionate about skating. We were going to start a skateboard company. Yeah, yeah. My name was Stu. His name was Boss. So therefore, the company was Stoss, right? Yeah, very, very, sure, yeah. very creative. I think, I think I'm seeing how we got there. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so we were doing this and we would skate. We'd work on the business. And basically, one day he called me and he goes, this is not what we're doing. I found a pot of gold. We're doing this other thing. Um, yeah. You know, I was like, dude, this is, this is our, this is like our heart and soul. This is what we're all about. But it ended up being the biggest blessing of my life. He ended up introducing me to this network marketing company. Okay. Um, so it's basically like social selling. It's like, you know, a company makes a product and then you kind of go out there and distribute it, mm -hmm. right? You get customers, business partners, things like that. And the larger your organization, so it's like, more is this like essential oils and stuff like that. Some of those kind of folks, doTERRA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly very similar to doTERRA, okay. but it was health and wellness. Gotcha. So we had like liquid nutrition, fitness products, a healthy energy drink. Um, and so for three and a half years, I became obsessed with this. <laughs> like literally, I left school. I dropped out of school. I was like, this is what I'm doing because yeah. I don't have time for school. Um, I started traveling. I was on a plane probably one to two times a week going to different cities, states, a uh, couple different countries to just work with teams and people that I was um, that I was leading. And when I was in that three and a half years, that was kind of the first time I was introduced to personal development. You mm. know, like like the idea that because you have a thought, because you act a certain way, because you do one certain thing or you, you know, X, Y, Z, that that doesn't mean that that's your life forever. Yeah, yeah. Like that you can change that, that you can shift that. Like I'll give you um, kind of a real quick story for me, which was a moment of like changed my entire life. And so kind of going back, I was shy, quiet, that yep. kid that wasn't super good at conversations. Oh, let's go. We're in the diner. <laughs> um, and basically I had the mentor and my mentor's name was Jed. And he, my philosophy was if someone has what I want, I'm going to do what they do, say what they say, get what they got. So I literally would follow him around everywhere, <laughs> see what he did, see how we talked. And we were at this one like conference and he would go around and someone would pop up and they'd be like, oh my God, Jed, like, it's so good to see you. And I'd be like, that was weird. Maybe that was like his cousin. <laughs> and we'd walk for another five minutes and it would happen again and again and again and again. And it just kept happening. And I was like, how is he having 
such powerful connections mm -hmm. with all of these people that clearly are not his family. Like some people he hasn't even known that long. And what happened for me in that moment was I had this realization that we're all born the same way, naked, mm -hmm. scared, and crying, right? Wasn't it the doctor brought him out of the womb and went, he's going to be a talker and brought me out and go, he's not going to be a talker. I started to realize that just because he was better at it, all it really meant is that he was studying it longer. And then if I studied it, if I put constant effort towards getting there, towards, for example, being a better communicator, that I could learn these skills. And so I went on that path. And, uh, you know, now nowadays, I don't see myself anymore as that person that's like in a shell, afraid to start conversations. Now I'm like, who's someone that I can talk to? Because I see really how it's like, beautiful moments happen in our life through having conversations. It's like, the quality of our life's determined by the quality of our relationships. And so mm -hmm. kind of going through some of those experience was uh, to this day, one of the biggest blessings of my life. So I, I won't sounds go like a dude, yeah. Ramp, but it was fun. It yeah, was, dude, that sounds like, and shout out to Jed out here. Shout out to his name Jed, first. Let's, let's, let's pull that aside. Um, <laughs> Jedi. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, that's, uh, that's incredible. So you, you mentioned that you were shyer growing up yeah. uh, and, or Tell me a little more about that. What were you, uh, you know, people are people who are shy. Um, people who are shy often are afraid of social interaction, right? Like shyness and introversion are not, are not uh, synonyms. Um, right. And so, um, so when you say that you were shy, like what, what, uh, what was the impetus behind that? Was it, was there an insecurity? Yeah. Was there something, it was something that you were told better to be seen, not heard. Like a lot of women are told, right? Like, I mean, what, what, what happened to you that you think that shyness was, was your default? Yeah. So it's interesting, like looking, you know, it's obviously easier sometimes to look back on our life and go, Oh, this is where the dots got connected and things like that. And so after just studying this and learning about this and being so focused on this over the last basically decade now, what I basically realized looking back on this is that we in our life, we have experiences. And if we have enough of those experiences, we create a story around that experience. And then when we create that story, ultimately that creates a belief. And then that's who we think we are, right? Keyword, that's yeah. who we think we are. And so mm -hmm. for me, just like a simple example that I've gone back to after kind of looking deeper into this, it was like, holy shit, like... <laughs> that was one of those experiences that built my story that built my beliefs was um like i'm not a huge sports guy i i love i prefer playing sports than watching them mm -hmm. but my dad is like loves watching sports big big sports dude watches the sports all those things and so we would grow up and i had this one really fond memory of growing up where we were like driving in the car and this wasn't just one time this would happen almost every single time we were in the car and we would be driving to like a restaurant for dinner or for my baseball practice or like whatever. And there would be a game on and I would try to talk, like talk to him and he would just go shh and he would turn up the volume of the game because like, and, and I don't know what the setting of the game was. It could have been the world series. It could have been a really important game. It could have been the bottom of the ninth inning for baseball, right? It's like, I don't know what was happening, but what happened for me in that experience is the story that I took that built me into the shy person was what you have to say does not matter. Nobody wants to hear your voice. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Like in having that story now built the belief that when I communicate, it equals pain and it's really going to hurt. So I might as well just shut my mouth. So it's like now looking back on this, what I realized 
is that's the story that I chose, but I could have chose a different story. It could have been, okay, the experience was the same experience. The story that I took is, holy crap, my dad loves sports, so why not see what's going on in the game? Why not learn about it? Why not interact with them about it? And maybe we can build a beautiful bond here. And then the belief that I take from that is, wow, it's, it's when, I, when I talk about sports or that, it's really fun. But it's like, that was one of the, the experiences I had in my life that built a story that built the belief. And so I, I just think what happens is the reason some of us are shy is we've had enough experiences in our life where maybe we were a kid and we were three years old and we were a blabbermouth. And one day our, our mom or dad came home from work and they just had a really long day. And they were just like, just shut up. Like you always talk, stop talking. And in that moment in our psyche, in our subconscious, we went, wow, this hurts when I share my voice. So I'm just going to stay shy. It's like mm, it, yeah. they've done studies and 50% of your beliefs as in patterns as a human are formed by five years old, 95 by the time you're 18. So it's like we form so many of these beliefs about who we are before we're even conscious that we, once we become conscious, right, we got to intentionally decide do I want to continue to be shy? Do I want to live a different way? And so for me, that, 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 if I had to look back on my life, that was sort of the reason that I kind of felt shy. And now I've learned to rewire it so that now instead of an experience to a story to communication equals pain, my new experience to story to belief is that like when I communicate, there's such unbelievable things that happen. Like if, if I was this shy, quiet kid that didn't communicate, like yeah. you and I would not be here. And what an incredible moment that you and I get to share right now. You know what I mean? And it's all yeah. because I know that when I communicate, beautiful things happen. So it's, that's kind of my spiel on, on being shy and how I got there and how you can shift it. Yeah. And Stu, I love, I love that story because it just goes to show how, uh, susceptible we are when we're younger. Cause that, I mean, with no disrespect to you or that story, that moment wasn't huge, right? It's not like there was a big <laughs> yeah, car it. accident. It's not like there was a death. There wasn't a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it wasn't this yeah. crazy moment, but it didn't have to be. Um, it didn't have to be. It was this super sticky moment that immediately wrote a story that you decided to believe and continued to write. And that's it, right? I forget who I was talking to. Uh, I was talking to recently. I think we're actually Ross Zabel uh, here on the podcast was talking about how, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, my dad said something when I was super young. And to this day, I'm still trying to avenge what he said, um, right? Like, but it was something flippant and yeah. off the cuff that his dad never even remembered, right? You know what right. I mean? Like, like I can yeah. think of I can think of things that my father said to me that uh, that I I mean, I can recite to you exact quotes. And my dad is like, I don't remember saying that shit. And it's like, <laughs> you don't remember saying it. But my counselor hears about it every other week. Um, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Like, it's just so crazy. A big story that I wrote myself that I wrote about myself when I was younger is that people think you're funny, but they don't care about you. Um, and so they don't think about you. And that was a big thing that I uh, used to say about myself when I was younger because uh, people always be like, oh, James, you're so funny. Oh, you're so cool. Um, but then no one ever really wanted to date me. Um, and that was a story that I wrote. Um, and then also uh, people, I would come back from the weekend and everybody would be talking about like, oh, that party was crazy. Oh, that party, oh, that high school party, middle school party, yeah. whatever. And I was like, what, what fucking party? 
I don't know about a party, right? Yeah. It's like I make you laugh all day and then you just don't think about me. Like what's don't going like, what do I need to do to be memorable for you to care about me? You're right. And so like, that's the story that I wrote that even to this day, like the way that shows up today in my life is, is that if you, if you are going to compliment me, I'm going to dig in four layer, four layers deeper yeah. into the why so that you prove it to me, right? Which no <laughs> one needs to do. Just take the compliment, bro, right? Like, yeah, and yeah. so, but it's so fascinating how these little moments, like you said, they just compound um, and, and they turn into these stories that impact the way we show up in the world at whatever age. Uh, it, it's crazy. And so I appreciate you sharing that story, man. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's like, if you think about the intention behind the person that said it to you, most likely, like when my dad was like, Shh, like in turn up the game, it's like, he wasn't going, I want to show my son that when he communicates, bad things happen. Like that's his yeah. intention was like, I want my son to live the most beautiful life that he can ever live. And I want him, I want him to, to be happy and all of these things. Like that mm -hmm. was his intention. That was just, again, the story that I took from it, but it, it is true. Like you said, it, it was, it was a small moment in kind of the scope of things if you really look at it, which is crazy how we do that to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I wonder how many people uh, have convinced themselves they can't sing because that happened to them in a car one time where someone's like, shh, turn up the volume, right? Like <laughs> My choir teacher, when I was in seventh grade, she said, sit in the back and pretend to sing. Because oh, no. And to this day, I'm like, I swear I could have been a good singer. She she corrupted me in my seventh grade little old brain. Gosh, the nerve of these people! The nerve of Monk, these people, Mrs. Uh, Monk. Mrs. Monk. I hope you're listening, Mrs. Monk. <laughs> you crushed my dreams. <laughs> oh shoot, uh, that's awesome. So, um, so you so you dive into this business, the network marketing business, business around fitness and and health products yeah. and whatnot. You're in it. You do quite well, right? As as we mentioned, yeah. uh, you're making eight million dollars in it. A, a not a not a small number. Um, and then what happens? When do you decide? You know what? This isn't this isn't for me. I got to get out. Uh, yeah. What, what happened? Did you did you and your yeah. did you and your boy have a fallout? Like you know what went down? Yeah. So. I'm again, a believer. Again, you ask powerful questions, you get powerful answers. And so for me, I'm a big believer in following your, your gut, your intention, your intuition, um, and just making sure I'm always coming from a pure, genuine place. Like if, if I don't feel genuine about something, something in my gut goes this, we can't do this. Um, yeah. and so I was in this business for probably three years. And at that point, something kind of started to turn in my stomach that it was like, you know, I don't, I don't know if I fully believe what I'm saying anymore, like a hundred percent. Like there's part of me that is, yeah, you, you know, I, I believe this and all these things, but there was part of me that said and felt more so this isn't really what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. And I didn't have really like the answers on like why necessarily. Um, but for probably like six ish months, give or take, I was having these like internal conflicts of like, do I keep doing this? Do I not? Um, and I was leading a team of like, you know, three, 4,000 people. So I had all these Casual. people who I was leading <laughs> yeah. that were looking to me on, Hey, Stu said, this is possible. We can do this. This is the dream. So if I were to leave that, like 
that was probably one of the hardest things for me is like, how do I tell all these people that I, that I painted this vision for that? Like, I don't believe in the vision anymore. Um, so it was really tolling. It was like, I don't feel like I'm supposed to do this, but I have all these people that are like relying on me. And basically what happened to save a long story is the company internally had some things kind of shift. Okay. And so it no longer made sense for us to be with the company. And so we kind of moved to a different company, right? So it was like, if we went from doTERRA to like another company, for example. Sure. And once we went to this new company, it didn't feel the same as the mm -hmm. past company. And now it was like, I had permission in my sense and in, in my belief was that now if I went to everybody and said, this doesn't feel right to me anymore, everybody would go, well, that makes sense. It's a different company. So yeah. for me, it was kind of like I asked and I was searching for something different in the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, gave me the answer to my question by internally doing something in the company that kind of gave me an avenue to leave in a way that felt okay. Um, so that's saw, when I left. saw the opening. You shot, shot through the gap real quick. Yeah. So I saw yes. the opening and I was like, I I'm out. Like, I'm going to go do something like my, my gut saying, do something different. So I'm going. And so I left and the wildest thing is like when I left after I had left, I had this moment of like, I was actually much more than just a moment. It was several months, but this kind of phase of my life where it was like, I felt called to do something else. So I left. And then it was like, like, what the heck is this? Like, what it, what, it, what did I leave for? Yeah. You sure. know what I mean? It's like, I left and I got into this place of having like no idea what is my purpose in this world? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? Why am I here? Like all these questions on the regular were going through my head because in that experience, in that three and a half, four years, I lived the cliche of you never work a day in your life if you love what you do. And so I went from that being lit up every single morning, like jumping out of bed, doing stuff that lit up my soul to now being like, what the heck am I supposed to do? But I know that I must get back to that quality of life where I love what I do, because mm -hmm. if it's possible, if I've done it once, I can do it again. And so this is where I kind of went into a large, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, tornado twister. Tailspin. Spin of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, tailspin of like. <laughs> I don't know what I want to do with my life. I know I can live a life that lights me every single day. So how the heck do I figure this out? And so for me, um, first thing was like, I'm going to go travel and I'm going to find myself traveling. Like, you know, so many people say I went on this trip and yep. everything clicked in my life. <laughs> I found my purpose. Um, I was like, heck, I'll give that a shot. Cause I had a, I had another gut kind of pull that was like, go to New Zealand. You've always wanted to live there. And mm. it's, it's like, you've always wanted to go there since you can remember. And I don't know why I ever had this pull, but I just always felt pulled to New Zealand. Um, You're not a so deep Lord of the Rings fan from back in the day. I'm, and I'm not, <laughs> no, I, 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 think of, I don't even think I've ever watched the full Lord of the Rings. Oh, well, um, get your shit together. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Frodo. Um, but yeah, so I went to New Zealand and like you mentioned, I, I went to Bali for three weeks and kind of mm -hmm. explored there. Then got to New Zealand and then two days into being there, two days before my birthday, uh, basically I noticed just being like open and vulnerable. And for all my guys listening, uh, it was like I noticed my my boys downstairs, if you catch my drift, one of them was much larger than it should be. 
Mm. Um, and I started, and so like I'm in New Zealand, I've been there two days and I was like, uh, this is like weird. <laughs> um, so I like Googled it, you know, saw a couple things. It, it could be this, it could be that. Some things you probably don't Google, want to find. Google gets real scary real quick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'll go to the hospital tomorrow. I had a skydiving appointment in the morning. I was like, if this is something bad, like I'm doing this jump because it's going to be epic. So yeah. like when did the jump, it was unfreaking believable. Um, and then went to the hospital and again, kind of long story short, two days later after doing tests, seeing the doctors for a bit, they like brought me into the room, sat me down, did like the kind of like out of a movie scene where they're like, all right, like you have some sort of tumor. Um, it can either be benign, meaning it's nothing or it can be cancerous. But like we suggest you get on the next plane flight, go home, see your doctor and like really figure out what this is because it has the potential to be serious. Um, so I got on the plane and <laughs> I got on the plane and flew home and saw my doctor. And basically, you know, he, he was like a specialist and he was like, yeah, this, so this is testicular cancer. Um, and so it ended up being cancer. And so for like six months to a year, I went through just like surgery. It ended up spreading to my stomach. So they cut my stomach open, pulled cancer out there. Um, and it was a whole big process that honestly just ruined my seven month trip that I was going to do in New Zealand to find Seriously, myself. What a buzzkill. Um, can a man, yeah. can a man find himself in New Zealand and just, just once. <laughs> yeah. And so then, you know, I mean, it was definitely part of my journey. I've learned yeah. a lot of things through that. But even after that, it was like, I came out of the cancer healed. And again, I was like, okay, like now I'm better. I've dealt with this, but again, like what the heck am I supposed to do with my life? Um, so I just kept going into searching and, and trying things and doing different things. And it led to working um, for Vans for a little bit, the action sports company. Nice. Right. So that was wicked. They're like a, a beautiful company. But back to your skateboard was, goals too. Back, back to my <laughs> skateboard roots. Right. Yeah. And then once I was there, I asked this question to myself and this, this question changed my life. And the question was if I woke up in five years and owned this company, because for me, I wanted to do stuff in the entrepreneurial space. If, if you're someone and you don't want to do that, the question you would ask is if I woke up in five years from now and was doing what my boss was doing, and then the tail end of that question is, would I be ecstatic, excited, fired up, like, holy crap, I cannot believe this is my life? And instantly the answer that came to me, because when we, when we ask questions, we get answers, was no, you want to go help people. You want to work with people. You want to help people figure out what they want to do with their life. And it was like such a moment of clarity in my life. And that's when I started everything with Finding Direction, which is really like a big focus of what I'm doing now and helping people figure out what they want to do with their life, with the podcast that you were on. Um, and that's kind of to go down a long road, uh, what those next, what those next few years look like to kind of get me to where I'm at today. Stu, what a journey, <laughs> what a literally and figuratively, uh, what, what a journey. I, uh, first off, I just watched a show about Airbnbs in Bali. It looks lovely. Hope you had a great time. Um, <laughs> yeah, you gotta go if you haven't. It's, heard it's a special place. Um, amazing. Yeah, and I'm not a basic white boy if I don't, so I gotta go. Um, Sorry, and uh, hot girl summer, <laughs> hot girl summer, we out of here. Hot girl summer, dude. That's what I told you. I'm trying to shake this cold because hot girl go. summer is upon us. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but to go to New Zealand, this place of your dreams, 
to yeah. skydive and then go to a doctor's appointment and find out this news. Uh, what, what a moment. And it's, it's interesting, right? Because you are someone, it's interesting because you're someone who clearly is attuned with what's next, right? Like you've asked yourself, what's next? Where do I want to go? What, what's the bigger picture here? Why does this matter? Um, does it matter enough or should I shift, right? Like, you're asking, you're asking yourself about that when the networking marketing company, uh, you're asking yourself that even when you go to school and you're like, I'm going to leave school and do this thing, right? Like there's been a few moments, yeah. a number of moments in your life where you have had the courage to make the pivot and just go, um, which is amazing. So then getting cancer is a hard stop, but yet the man that you are and the pattern that you've been living is is one that oftentimes people learn after they get an illness like cancer, right? Like mm -hmm. oftentimes that moment of reflection of like, what am I doing? Where do I want to go? Uh, what is, what matters in life? Um, it's interesting because you were already that kind of man. And so to go through a thing like cancer, I mean, it's got, I mean, it's got to amplify it, right? I mean, anytime you put your, uh, the, the finality of your life into perspective, it's it's got to ramp it up but i mean how how was that moment for you finding out that you had cancer and that it spread to your stomach right that's scary bro like what was yeah. what was that moment like and 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 who helped you get through it yeah it's it's interesting that perspective you have because i've never looked at it that way and you know as i reflect back on my life like i've i've had some lessons from my cancer journey but i i don't feel like i quite had that moment like you're saying where people right get cancer and they go, Oh my God, what is life? And, and maybe it was because I was kind of already delving into some of that. I don't, I don't really know fully. Um, let's just say happened, yes. Cause it makes me sound good. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I'm, honestly, just I'm totally playing, man. I'm totally yeah. Playing. <laughs> I, I, I'm a massive fan of this philosophy. So <laughs> kind of what happened for me is, so I got home, I went to the doctors and I went with my mom and dad Yeah. and we're in there. And like to this day, and I recently actually had this conversation with my parents where I was like, what did it like? What was it like for you? Because I cannot imagine being a father mm. and someone going, your son or daughter has cancer. Like mm. that eats my guts. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. just twists them up in all the wrong ways. Um, but so we're sitting there and the doctors, you know, they like do their checks, their tests, you do ultrasound, all those different things. And he's like, yeah, so it's testicular cancer. And so, you know, we get the news, we leave the office and literally the moment we walked out of the office, I just looked at my parents and I said, don't talk to me any differently. Don't treat me differently. Don't treat me like I have something that's going to kill me because if you plant that seed, that seed can grow and we don't even want to entertain that thought. So just, Woo! just, yeah. And so for me, it was so, and, and everybody has a different way. Like I've, I have other friends that have had cancer that have cancer that have gone through these journeys and everybody has their different experiences. But what worked for me was I wanted to surround myself with people that always reinforced to me. Everything's going to be okay. Like yeah. we're blessed. We have another day. We woke up, we're breathing. Like everything's going to be great. Um, and then I got home and probably the scariest moment for me in this journey was I got home and my brother, who's like my best friend, he's my older brother, who's been like a mentor to me in my life. Um, he's like sitting in this chair and I walk through the kitchen over to like the living area where he's sitting in the chair and he turns around, looks at me and the words out of his mouth were, holy crap, 
like, or it was like, oh my God, you have cancer. And, and he like gave me a hug. But the words I heard was, holy shit, you might die. Hmm. And it was like, again, ripped my guts oh, apart. God, and, yeah. and as soon as he said that, instantly, and I, I agree with you, it was a pattern. Instantly, my pattern was don't talk to me. Don't say that. Don't, don't plant that seed in my mind because if you plant it, it can grow. And we don't want that seed to even grow. Um, and it was such a, it made the entire journey so much easier. And I think it's interesting even kind of talking about this now that it's like, as we approach other things in our life, whether it's cancer, whether it's figuring out what we want to do with our life, whether it's whatever it is we're going through, as soon as we plant the seed for negativity, it creates an opportunity for that seed to grow. So what we can do is as soon as that seed pops up, have a conversation with the seed and go seed don't talk to me that way <laughs> don't come at me that way yeah. i'm not even going to let you plant in my brain because the moment you sink into my brain you can start to grow and we're not even going to go there right and so that helped me get through the cancer um it uh, like you said it's it spread to my stomach i was still like i need to travel so i had a trip planned to iceland and i was going to go to iceland europe all these places and again this is like the two day curse i guess two days before my dad calls me and it goes, they moved up your stomach surgery appointment. It's going to be in three days. You need to cancel your appointment. So I was like, oh. I'm really not supposed to travel right now. So I canceled <laughs> it. Um, they basically cut me open from like your chest bone to your pubic bone. So it's like, yeah. a, I don't even know, 16 inch incision, like big, big surgery. And they put out 23 lymph nodes. Five of them were cancerous. Um, and fortunate for me, that was kind of the end of like, they were able to remove all the cancer. Hmm. Um, so it was, uh, it was a process, man. It was a journey and every single day I'm continuing to learn from it. Yeah. How did your parents respond to that when you asked them more recently about what that, what their journey was for, for you? Because I, I mean, almost, I mean like, I could almost cry. We were all crying. It yeah. was like, my, it was like, I, cause I never wanted to ask him it when I was going through it, obviously, but yeah. I've had enough conversations with people that I was, I eventually got curious enough and was like, what were they thinking? And it was just like, <laughs> we were all crying. They were like, I, they're like, I prayed harder than I've ever prayed. Like I was so like, just scared. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's gnarly. Um, and so we were all just crying. They were like, I'm so glad that we got through that. And, you know, my dad, thankfully, my mom was like, he was such a, he was so strong through the process for her, which was really helpful for her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's like, we're going to get through this. It's going to be all fine. And it was a good prognosis. I wasn't like I had 20% chance to live. Like I, I was, yeah. I had a good chance to live. Um, but I think the word cancer, regardless of your prognosis does freak people out. Heck yeah. Um, but yeah, it was since talking to them after about it, it was, uh, it was as gnarly as you would think it would be to hear that your kid had cancer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Heck yeah, dude. You got me welling up right now. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and you know, I, I remember my father, uh, my father's probably eight years ago now, um, had prostate cancer and like, I'm someone who, I'm someone who thinks about the death of my parents a lot. That may sound weird to you. Um, but I drew cause I just, you know, I want to know that I'm maximizing the time, right? Like I never want to, yes, maximize. Exactly. And like anytime I'm like, ah, I'm calling too much and hey, whatever too much. It's like, no, there, there is no too much right now um, because eventually there's going to be too none <laughs> or yeah, two. Right? right. And so, uh, 
and I just, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it to happen that early. Um, yeah. So, uh, but uh, I remember that being a turning point for me where I, I just started calling whenever the hell I felt like it and with no remorse. I was like, yep, it's me again. You're welcome. How are you? <laughs> um, <and laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. You see, I was listening to this uh, interview with Will Smith the other day. Okay. And one of the things that he mentioned it is when his, when his father passed, he was, and I've never looked at it this way either. He said, I was given the gift that they told me my dad had six weeks to live. Mm. I've seen studies where you tell people how long they're going to live. It's crazy statistics that once you tell someone they have six weeks to leave, it plants the seed, the seed grows, and it's like 80% of people die right around that point. But if you don't tell them, studies show that people live much longer than that time. Mm. But he said it was a beautiful gift. And the gift that it gave him was because he knew he only had six weeks. It was like every moment because his dad, I think lived nine weeks or something. So every day after that six weeks, it was like every single hug, every single interaction, every single conversation was so present. So, so just like real because it was like, you never know if you leave tomorrow, if that person's going to be there. But it's like, the truth is that's the reality with you and I having this conversation. Yeah. Like, crazy shit happens in this world. So like, why not treat these conversations like we're having right now where it's like so present, so intentional because, you know, tomorrow's, tomorrow's not promised. Yeah. Amen to that, Stu. Amen to that. Uh, that's, uh, that's beautiful, man. And thank you for, uh, for telling us about, about that journey. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's, it is, it is kind of cool to see the way that pattern kind of played out, um, in, in your life. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, in your pursuit of finding what is next, uh, you casually wind up hanging out with uh, a little <laughs> dude named Tony Robbins, um, yeah. eventually, um, how, how did Tony Robbins happen to your life? Did you go to one of his seminars, like a UPW or something like that? Or, uh, did they find you, um, or what, what, what happened after Vans? Yeah, so yeah. So I went when I was 20 years old, I want to say, um, I'm 28 now when I was 20, I went to see Tony. Um, and I was like immersed in personal development at this point, probably for a year. I had heard of him. I'd been to other live events like Bob Proctor and things like that. And I always had a pull to Tony. Like just, I was like, his events look wild. They're literally like a, a party yes. concert with personal development intertwined. And so <laughs> I went to one of his events and it was crazy. It like, it massively changed my life. Like we walked on fire. We did all these cool things. I like rewired the way that I thought about myself. Um, some of those early memories kind of that I was touching about earlier with my dad, I was able to like clear some of those things up and make peace with, with those things. And it was like such a beautiful experience. And so fast forward over the next, I guess it'd be six ish years. Um, I always just kind of stayed plugged in with this stuff. Like I would go to events here. I would volunteer a little bit here and there. I worked with the coach for a little bit. Um, and eventually in my life, I had left school twice and came back because that's just the way that I did it. And I'm very grateful for the way that I did it. Yeah. Left once because of the business left the second time because of cancer. Um, and so when I finally graduated, I began to ask myself, there's two roads that I can take in my life. One, I fully dive into entrepreneurship, do my thing, foot on the gas, like go time. And I do that and I trip, I fall, I learn, I get back up, I trip, I fall, I learn, and I take that journey. Second journey is I find someone who's the best of the best. And I learn from them by directly working with them. Because you wanted to find a new, you wanted a new Jed. 
I wanted a new jet, right? <laughs> and so for me, when it when the question became, all right, who's the greatest in this industry of personal development? It was Tony Robbins. Um, and so what was beautiful, and again, it's like, I'm a believer that everything we do in life prepares us for the next moment. And so once I got to this decision of which am I going to go, mm-hmm. I figured, let me at least kind of poke around in the Tony Robbins world and see if something can come of this. And previous, when I was in this network marketing, when I was in this business for four years, I became such an, I went from shy to like an ridiculously good communicator. I went from shy to being like an incredible networker, like just like a networking ninja, just different ways to meet people, build relationships, connect with people, like all these different things. So I use those skills to get my get myself into Tony Robbins. Yeah. And so I had met people, I had built relationships, I had created connection, I had added value, I did all these things to eventually it connected me to the person who was the person that was bringing people onto the team that I'm on now. And so I connected with him and naturally it was just like a perfect fit. It was like the skills I had matched what they were looking for. Um, I'm a ridiculously driven person, so that obviously helps. Mm-hmm. And so I met with them and and kind of went through the process of coming onto the team. And after, I think it was like a four-month interview process, um, eventually they were like, all right, you're, you're on. Um, and so now I've been with Tony for going on two years. And uh, it's, I've, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. Yeah. Um, been able to meet some really cool people and yeah man it's it's been fun to uh to learn from him and work from him because you know he, he's like honestly he's like an idol to me um so Man's be mach- like, and the man is a machine nah, the man is a machine yeah uh, <laughs> i think he just turned 61 and he's like he's like yeah i'm not i'm not stopping like watch out you know he's and, yeah. and his energy is ridiculous so yeah yeah it's crazy the yeah, awesome. what what are you uh, what are you doing for the Tony Robbins organization? So I'm basically a national trainer for him. So okay. Tony goes in and he does like ten thousand person speeches. Companies pay him fifty thousand trillion million dollars, whatever they pay him, a lot of money. Um, but when there's like a smaller group, mm-hmm. that's when I come in and I work with like a smaller group and we do training. And it's all about like your mindset, your beliefs. Like so many times in life, we know what to do, but we don't do it. And it's because there's these things in the middle unconsciously getting in the way of us like doing the things that we actually want to do with our life. Yeah. I come in and help people close that gap. So that's kind of like some of the trainings I do. And then ultimately that funnels back into the events with Tony where it's like, you know, you enjoy this, you want more. Then we give people's opportunities to go like see Tony live. Um, but that's what I do. And it's fun, man. It's like, that's awesome. It It's deep work, you know, like we get to really oh, look yeah. at like, why are you where you're at in your life? Are you where you want to be? If you're not like, let's have real conversations about like, how do we, how do we get you there? Because if we don't have those real conversations in a year, five years, 10 years, you're probably going to wake up being in the same place, doing the same thing, being the same person, having the same regrets because, because you didn't take a real look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. I got two questions for you and and then we'll move on from Tony. Up here in Minnesota, they call it a twofer. Um, So uh, so the two questions are um, as a, a businessman 
and someone who is uh, doing his own thing as well. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, I'd be curious to hear what's one thing you've taken away as a businessman uh, and as an, as an entrepreneur from your experience working uh, with, with his organization. And the other question is, uh, what's one thing that has surprised you or that you didn't expect or that caught you off guard? It could be a good way or whatever way in working for yeah. the organization. Uh, so to answer the first question is systems. Um, mm. Like in a lot of what I do, it's live interactive. Like nowadays we do a lot of it on Zoom because obviously the world shifted a little bit. Like I do actually 99% of it on Zoom now. Mm. Um, but there's so many systems that if you have in place, your business will run so much smoother. And what I've observed being in this company is if you don't have the right systems, a lot of things get messed up. A lot of opportunities get wasted. A lot of, for us, potential lives that could be literally changed get lost and don't get changed. Like people continue to suffer if you don't do the right things. But if you could, if you can put the right things in place, then you create so much more opportunity to create impact. Yeah. So I would say one of the biggest things I've learned is just like the massive, massive importance on having the right systems in your business so that you can be the most effective. Love that. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. And that's not the way my brain works. Uh, and so like I, I actually did a, a hire for Tina and I's business um, and I literally brought them in and I said, we need systems. I don't know what systems are, and so you're going to do research on systems and figure out one that works for us. <laughs> yeah. um, and like that was, I mean, that was just, I was like, I know we need something. And that was, that's kind of, that was our starting point into systems, um, whether yeah. it's a, a CRM or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me for sure. And then what's one thing that surprises you or surprised you? Um, I would say something that surprised me is, like before I worked with Tony, I would go to his events. I would experience it, all these different things. But I think what surprised me and continues to surprise me is the man's preparation. Mm. So it's like for any event, whether it's a big one, a small one, his an enormous one, the amount of dedication and preparation he has to serve someone is just insane to watch. Like you would think, I think, for his UPWs, like main event, he's done like a hundred now or something like that, like a lot of them. But yet for every single one, it's not like he's like, oh, it's tomorrow. I'll just show up. It's like, no, we prepare, we plan, we strategize. How can we get the absolute most, best experience out of this? Yeah. And I think that's something that's surprised me more than I thought it would actually seeing it from like the inside. Yeah, that relentless energy of delivering an outrageous project uh, yeah, project um is uh that's incredible or product i should say um yeah, yeah that's beautiful and, and just his work ethic you watch it from the inside and you're like dang this dude really 24 7 moving shaking you know, 24 7 yeah, yeah i love it man well thank you for sharing a little bit about that experience with us my um my and my I, I think it's uh i think it's incredible to hear um, again, kind of going back to, to some of your patterns, too, uh, and that the way you are in constant pursuit of the next. Um, and it is it's cool uh, because at the same time, you, you commit to the moment. Right. I think we see a lot of people that jump jobs every year because they're not committing to the moment. 
right? And, and let be like, hey, you know, let me let me get in here. The easy thing to do is to leave. And that's yeah. and easy isn't always right. Um, and like there are times where we need to recognize the role we played, the energy we brought in, the mindset, the whatever that potentially created the environment that we now loathe and that we're trying to run from. Right? Like I'm not saying it's always our fault, but I'm saying we frequently take ourselves out of the equation to keep blaming other people. Um, and so it, it's a it's For a sure. bigger mix. And so uh, so that's what I appreciate. Right? It's not like you didn't you didn't do the network marketing thing for a year and a half. You didn't uh, you didn't do this for whatever. I mean, the only thing you didn't commit. To is having testicular cancer that sounded like that was pretty quick but that's fine man we all we all slip every once in a while um but uh (laughs) the um the thing is uh is that uh you now help individuals find direction um find their direction why does that matter to you where did where did that come from i mean i could see it happening in your life and at some point we I think a lot of speakers teach what they also want to hear or need to hear or want to hear. Yeah. Um, and so there's a little bit of that, but I'd be curious to hear from you, from, from your face uh, a little bit of why, why finding direction is, is where you are uh, planting your flag right now. Yeah. So for me, the reason that it's where I plant my flag is honestly, because it's, it's where I had for me, like the deepest pain in my life. Um, and like I put it over cancer, like, for me, this was worse than having cancer was kind of, as I mentioned, I left the company. I said, there's something else I'm supposed to do. But then I went into this space of just feeling so lost and like not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And that was so painful mm-hmm. that for me, after I went on a journey out after that was for six years after that, and including the four before, when I went through the next six years and really figured out like, how do I open any door that I want? Like if I want to work in action sports, I can work with the number one company. If I want to work in personal development, I can work for the number one company. And after continuously figuring out what do I want to do with my life and pivoting in all these different ways to to make it my reality, I sort of had this massive realization that it was like, I am not the only person that's asking this question. Like, I'm not the only person that's going through my life saying, what do I want to do with my life? Or why am I here? Or like, what lights up my soul? And so that's when at first the podcast was born. And the podcast okay. was all just like when you were on the show is like, let's go through people's lives like yours who have lived unbelievable, cool lives and figure out how the heck did you get there? And so it's like, you know, now we have 160 episodes. I've been able to meet so such amazing people like yourself. Um, and then what it's really started to turn turn into is like working directly with people. Um, and, you know, we can give you the podcast and, and insights and strategies on that. But it's like after spending 10 years of my life building skills over these years Mm -hmm. and then over the last six years directly being i mean mainly focused on this it's now taking all of the lessons i've learned over the last 10 years and helping people like really answer that question of what do i want to do with my life and another reason that it's like such a has such a fire in me is it's like i think there's way too many people that go through our life and go it's like, it's just my job. Like it doesn't really matter if I like it or not. It's like 80% of people's statistics show don't like what they do. And it's like, if you really started to boil down the numbers, it's like our working life is like, it's more than a quarter of our life. Mm -hmm. So like, it's like, would you write off 25% of your life in misery? I think anybody, if you asked it in that manner would say, that's a silly decision. That's, that's thinking, thinking, but so many of us do it because societally in, in society, we're taught, well, you know, it's just kind of your job, right? It's not something that lights up your soul versus it's like, if we ask ourselves at the end of the day, 
what is a job, right? Some of us may look at it and go, well, it's a way we make money to provide for our life. The way I see it is a job is a way to expand upon your light mm-hmm. that you were supposed to give to this world. You know what I mean? So, so kind of that's, that's why I'm here doing what I'm doing now um, with this is it's like, I believe we all deserve a quality of life where we wake up every single day pinching ourselves going, holy crap, I can't believe this is my life. Like we live in an abundant world. Someone else out there right at this moment has your dream job. Mm-hmm. Someone is living your dream life. So if they've been able to do it, doesn't it make sense that you could do it if you explored that avenue, if you were really committed to it? And that's kind of what I bring to the table with people is it's like, rather than trying to go through the process yourself, let me give you strategies, tactics that I've learned going through this process. So instead of getting there in, in 10 years, you can get there, you know, in a couple months or a couple years, much quicker. Yeah. Yeah. First chapter of the book, find your Jed. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, I love that. Shout out to Jed. Uh, I always got to have a runner. I'm an improviser. So I, yeah, I got to have a joke that comes back. Yeah, you understand. Yeah. You understand. Yeah. Um, it's like my French fries. We just keep sticking them in. Anyway, so um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the, the concept that you just shared is powerful. And, and I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, one of my mottos in life is never settle. And that's a motto that at times gets me into trouble because at times I set unrealistic expectations to myself and, and not necessarily that the goal is unrealistic, but the timeline is right. Like, and so, so then that leads to me shooting on myself or beating myself up or getting frustrated or, or getting frustrated with my partner when, you know, she wants to do this and I'm like, yeah, but I got to do the thing. Cause I'm going to put a thing. Right. Or maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not embracing every moment with our newborn son because I'm like, I got to go to it. I got to be, a, I got a legacy. Right. Like, and so, yeah. uh, and, and so I'm working on that with my counselor if I don't fire her. Um, but, uh, and, and that's, that's been powerful. And so those, those expectations that we set for ourselves are, are interesting. And so also what I hear and and what you're sharing is, you know, if there's a life that you want, your, your dream, your dream job is out there. Somebody is doing it. Um, and if you want it, then let's, let's figure it out. Right. And, yeah. and let's hustle towards it. Yeah. That sounds great. And I agree with you, but there's this little thing that gets in the way and it's called our brain, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, right? It's called being, you know, insecurity. Um, And so what kind of work do you encourage individuals, self-work, do you encourage individuals to do to help them rewrite some of the stories of I can't or it's not for me or no one who's ever looked like me has blank, um, right? Because let's also mention that, you know, societal oppression is is a a very good reason why some people don't do um, uh, and reach their potential. Um, And and so, but, but still like, a word that you and I are both passionate about is vulnerability and vulnerability is not just an outward thing. It's also an inward thing yeah. um, and being vulnerable with ourselves. And and I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about that. You know, what role does, does that self-reflection and, and rewriting internal stories play um, in this process for you? Yeah, I would say there's, there's like two major ways that you could do it. There's I'm sure many others. But two of the main ones that I see is it's one is it's like a major life event where it's like maybe again, if we kind of go into, let's say cancer, for example, like you have someone in your life, something happens, they pass away and you have this moment of like, you know what? 
I saw the way they lived and I will never live my life like that. So instantly you make a radical change in your life. So like, that's one way that it can happen. And it doesn't have, you could be in a car accident. You almost, you know, you could be, you got can It could be all these different things, but the other way that you can do it, I think maybe the better way to do it for sure um, is by surrounding yourself with people that think the same way, mm. right? Because we are an average of the expectations of the, of the people we surround ourselves with. So if you're around people all day long that go, it's just a job or you're not really going to like it, or that's the safe route. When the reality, look at COVID the last 18 months, there is no safe route. Plenty of people took the safe route and it got squashed, right? So it's like, if you can surround yourself instead of people around that with around people that are going, you got this. Like, if you want to live that life, I don't care whether this happened to you or that, or you grew up this way. Like if you surround yourself with people long enough that believe in you, eventually you're going to start to believe in you. Right. Because mm. it, it's like building a muscle, right? If we went to the gym once and we lifted a dumbbell and we came out and we go, I'm going to be ripped. I'm going to be jacked for life. <laughs> people go, you're crazy. Hot girl summer. Right? That, yeah. <laughs> hey, you want you want to have a hot girl summer. You need to go seven days a week. You need to go five days a week. Right. So we all get it from that sense. But sometimes when we try to shape and change our stories in life, yeah. we think that we can lift one dumbbell and have, have everything changed. But the reality is, is it's a muscle. Like you got to consistently be practicing this. And I think the best way to do it is by surrounding yourself with other people that are having these same beliefs, views, um, outlooks on the world, because you surround yourself with those people. You have conversations with them long enough. You start to go, Holy crap. I really can change my story. I, I really can start to shift some of these things. And, you know, so I, I think that's one of the most powerful ways that you can do it. Yeah. It goes right back to what your analogy before of what seeds are you fertilizing in your brain and which ones are you trying to, you know, force out and tell them like, not nah, to say the same where you live, homie, um, you gotta, you gotta get out of here. Uh, you don't gotta go home, but you gotta get out of my brain. Um, like yeah. those. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. And I think the beautiful thing too, like you're saying, like, as you sprinkle in vulnerability there, it's like, if you can put yourself around the right people that support you, and you can be vulnerable about where you are in your life. Like truthfully, honestly, what you want, you just be real. Like put the walls down for a second. If you are in the right type of a support system, those people would lift you up. If you're mm -hmm. in the wrong type of a support system, if you're around the wrong people, you may get vulnerable and they go toughen up or like whatever they're going to say, right? Like you and I were kind of talking about it before we start recording is it's like as men, vulnerability is kind of this it's a little bit of a different thing where it goes, no, you got to be tough, strong, manly, all this. Yes. But the reality is you do need to be vulnerable in your life. You got to be real, right? So that you don't wake up one day in your like midlife as people, whatever age that is now and have that awakening moment of like, holy crap, why am I here? Why is this my life? How did I get here? It's probably because you, you were never really vulnerable. You didn't check in with yourself and you didn't do it around the right group because if you're around people that are believers, that are encouragers, that are people that will lift you up. When you go vulnerable, all they do is their heart connects with you and they go, holy crap, I've probably felt that same way. I've probably been through something similar. And if I haven't, I got your back, yeah. right? Let's figure out how do we get you through this to get you to where you want to be because you're around those right people. Mm -hmm. But you got to be vulnerable, 100%. Amen to that, brother. Uh, vulnerability takes courage and you, my friends, are courageous. Uh, and so, yeah, let's say... Uh, yeah, that's a powerful message.
And I think also, again, like you said, who you surround yourself with, are you surrounding yourself with coaches and mentors, people who ask you the hard questions, or are you surrounding yourself with people who validate you the story, uh, validate the stories that you're writing, right? Because at the end of the day, it's fine when we tell stories. It's fine when we tell stories. Stories are very important. And it's also important that we bring in accountability. Uh, the changing yeah. the story. And sometimes I know for me, uh, sometimes I'm not, I'm not the best accountability buddy for myself. Sometimes I need, I have friends that need to hold me accountable. Um, when I was writing my first book, I intentionally told a handful of people, I was like, I'm telling you, cause I know you're going to ask me about it. And I know yeah. I can't look you in the eye and tell you, I haven't written a damn thing since the last time we talked. Um, right. Like yeah. some of those kinds of people in our lives that, and that's not everybody. There are a few people that if I if I tried to put them in that boat and they were like, "How's your book?" Kind of be like, "The fuck out! Who? I don't care about you, bro." Right? Like you can't you can't you can't tell me what to do. Right? It's interesting. Not everybody has access uh, to hold us accountable, but it is important to find out who those people are, let them in, and ask for help. Yeah, hundred percent. You got to so, put yourself around the right people. Yeah. Stu, I love this brother and I, I appreciate you, man. Uh, it's been so dope hanging out with you and just uh, thank you for sharing your story. Um, and then the tangents we went on, it's, uh, it's super powerful, man. I, I, I just, uh, I'm grateful for this time with you, man. How you feeling right now? I I'm feeling, uh, just good, man. Like grateful for life. And I think it's something I try to practice in my life is just like, be present, be grateful and just being here with you. Like, I feel like I've been my, I do my best to be present. I feel like in this conversation, I've been incredibly present and I, I put that as a testament to who you are. And so, um, I'm just grateful for you having me here, man. I'm feeling, feeling good, feeling positive. It's getting a little hot in my place because I did close the windows, <laughs> but not as hot as 95 and humid. So I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling phenomenal, man. Yes, brother. Yes. Stu, let the people know where, where can they find you and connect with you? Uh, you know, obviously we got the, the finding direction podcast, um, but tell, tell us a little bit more, man, about where the people can find you. Yeah. So if anybody's listening to this live, cause I know we're streaming, um, the best way that I would tell you to get a hold of me is we're doing a five day challenge and it's called the five day find your future challenge. Now, if you go to findingdirectionuniversity.com, you can find all the details on the challenge. So if you're live right now, one, what's up? Thanks for joining us. Um, but if you're not listening to this live, you listen to this as podcast recording, um, the best place to find me, I would say is I created like a, a document and it's all about everything I've learned over the last 10 years in regards to figuring out what you want to do with your life. Mm. And so if people want access to that, it's called three steps to finding direction in under 10 minutes. So it's super quick and you can find it at findingdirectionuniversity.com forward slash three steps. So if anybody wants to go there, findingdirectionuniversity.com forward slash three steps. Um, and other than that, if you want to connect, you can find me on social media um, with my name. I am everywhere. And if you have questions, anything I can do to support you, um, reach out and I would be humbled to have a conversation with you. Yes, he would, my friends. And you should take advantage of that. That sounds incredible. Uh, Stu, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for coming in the diner, my brother. Hope you're leaving full and content. Absolutely. Extremely full, extremely content. James, thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate you. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah. I appreciate you, dude. Y'all, that was my boy, Stu Massengill, hanging out in the diner, dropping some gems. And I just, I appreciate someone who is, who is looking for what's next. 
but at the same time, enjoying the moment that he's currently living in. That's a tough balance to find, realizing that this moment matters. How can I dig my claws in and be here right now and try to make the best of my current situation, but also having some in the back of your head being like, what do I want to do with my life? I think that balance is, is very hard, but I love the way that Stu talked about it today. Um, and it was really special getting to hear his story and it was special getting to hear it with you. Thank you for coming to the diner, my friends. Until the next time that we hang out, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.